0: And I thought I could either be a really boring dull person in a rut doing the same thing that I have done forever, or I could take this leap of faith and really just create something and put my passion in it and my full heart into it and make it happen. And it's been a 10 year process. I didn't know what the heck I was doing when I started. I asked a lot of questions. And I think the most important thing is having a passion, not giving up, take small baby steps at a time to get to that big goal
1: welcome to reinvention after 50 a brand 50 podcast where we interview a large spectrum of entrepreneurs that have started their businesses later in life learn be inspired and get motivated by their stories so that you can take your life's experiences and turn them into your next venture and now your hosts robert erie artboard and stephanie odell
2: Welcome everyone to another edition of Reinvention After 50, a Brand 50 podcast. And once again, we have Stephanie O'Dell, one of our co-contributors, doing an awesome job. This week, she interviewed Sky Bergman, who after 10 years realized she had a hit film on her hand when she never, ever did a film, was never in the film industry. How did this happen, Stephanie?
3: Well, she, again, it came from passion and um, her grandmother, visited every, her grandmother was in her nineties and visited every summer and her grandmother had never written down her recipes and Skye wanted her recipes. So every summer she came for the month of August and they would go to farmer's markets and get uh, vegetables and ingredients and they'd come home and make different dishes that Skye grew up with her grandmother. and instead of well she would write them down but she also started filming it because she she has a photography background she teaches photography she's a professor at cal poly and so she started just filming it for her own personal use use and then she started talking to others she decided i want to talk to other older people and see how they are living well their lives well and um lives well lived is her documentary and she started filming them and like you said she didn't know what she was doing in the beginning um she was doing it all by herself and realized that all this video she thought she was going to make a webinar or a short series or something and four years i think it was four years of recording four years later she had a documentary film on her hands
2: yeah and it, it won a lot of awards it's on pbs right now there's different avenues where you can see it but it's incredible
3: yeah and she you know she talks about asking for help cuz she didn't know how to do a lot of things but then the really interesting thing is she didn't have financing and she didn't want to not pay anybody she was adamant about paying valuing people's work and time and wanted to pay everybody And didn't have money to pay so looked at her assets which i think is a really interesting concept to for us to think about as we age that we have these assets and hers was her house and she had empty rooms in her house and so she started airbnb her rooms or she would airbnb the whole house when she left and she financed her film
2: that's been very resourceful and I, i loved when you asked her so how did you deal with all the technical stuff she goes well you know i got a couple cameras and she said the most prophetic thing, as this is why she's a smart lady. She said, the most important thing in anything is the sound. You got to get the sound right. It's like, well, oh, you could that appreciate is. that. <laughs> <laughs> that is my, you know, that's my avenue there. It's like, yes, find yeah. somebody that respects sound, you know?
3: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She that. says, um, you can, people will forgive bad footage, but they won't forgive bad sounds. Yeah. So. Um, that was really interesting, and and she had. I love the idea of asking for help because I I think again we'll look at her and see. Oh my God, she made a documentary film, film, and we see that, but we don't think about all it took to get her there. And it was a long process. She's on PBS yet now, but that was ten. It's been ten years. So and she's had a full time job the whole time. So it's it also is a lesson in. There's ways to manage your passion and purpose. And fit it in if you
2: really want to, okay. And the movie is lives well lived. You can find it on PBS and other avenues. And I know you guys are going to enjoy this interview, so let's take a listen.
3: Welcome to Brand Fifty Podcast. I'm here with Sky Bergman today, and Sky um pivoted midlife, where, you know, we tell the stories of redefining ourselves in midlife. And for women, it can be a difficult journey because of the messaging we're served, but Skye and I connected recently, but I knew about her film, Lives Well Lived, quite a while ago and loved hearing your story and then invited you to join me on the Brand 50 podcast because I think your story is super inspiring. So welcome, Sky, to the conversation today and hey. um, is an accomplished award-winning photographer uh, and documentary filmmaker and her film Lives Well Lived. I saw when did it come out? A couple years ago. A couple years ago, yeah. And it was
0: in theaters in 2018. Mm
3: -hmm. All right. And I saw it, uh, I think someone recommended it to me because I am in the demographic of the 50 plus woman and I love the storytelling of aging. And it was such a beautiful film. And then you and I got the chance to talk and I found out how close to home it is. And how it is part of your family journey. And so I want to share that part of it, but I also want to share your story. You're a professor at Cal Poly in San Luis Obispo. And so very successful career and made this film without knowing how to make a documentary film. (laughs) (laughs) So let's dive in, dive into that conversation and tell us Give us a little bit more history, your history, and what led you to making the film. And
0: Sure, yeah. Well, you know, I've always, I think, followed my passion. And uh, by the way, thank you very much for having me. I really appreciate it, and it's, it's, I'm grateful to be here. But as I said, I, I've always followed my passion. From the time that I was young and I was a finance major undergrad and took a photo class for fun and realized, oh my goodness, this is what I want to do. I don't know how I'm going to make a living at it, but I know I need to just follow this because that's what I am happiest doing. And that's where my passion lies. And I was a a successful photographer, as you mentioned, and chair of the art and design department and, you know, had done very well in my career and was in my mid forties and looking at that big number of 50. I think for a lot of us, it's a a big number, that half century mark. And I was very fortunate that I had a wonderful grandmother who Was really my role model. And at 96, she came out to visit me for the first time from Florida to California. And she spent the next four summers with me, um, the month of August, which, if you've ever been to Florida in August, you know is a good time to (laughs) get out of town, get out of town and go somewhere else. Take all the hurricanes and the hot weather. And and we, we would cook together. And she never wrote a recipe down. So what I realized in that, I mean, since I was a kid, we would cook together, but particularly then I realized, oh, I really wanna capture this. And that was her way of showing her love and also her wisdom came out when we were cooking together. And so I started, I'd never done this before, never done a video before, but I started videoing my grandmother cooking. So it's this all started from a very personal place. And it was such a, a wonderful gift that my grandmother gave me that we were able to, to do that and to share that time together. And when she was turning 100, she was still working out at the gym. She had wow. to move it or lose it which I often think about when I feel like I'm too tired to get up and go to the gym. Um, and I should also say she did not start working out until she was 80. So oh, was I love never, that. never, never too late to start yeah. something new. So I, I went to the gym with her and I thought, I better film this because nobody's going to believe that at almost a hundred, she's still lifting her weights and doing her thing. And I asked her for a few words of wisdom and she said, Oh, words of wisdom, live life to the limits, be kind. And I came back from that trip. And like I said, I was approaching 50 and looking for positive role models out there. And I really was not finding positive role models in aging. Everything that I was seeing in the media was all about anti-aging and how to avoid aging. And let's face it we are all aging. If we are lucky, we are all aging. And what a gift it would be to find other people out there in the world who are aging in a positive way that could be my role models. And so I sent an email blast out to all my friends, family, and alum. And I said, hey, if you have somebody in your life like my grandmother is to me, please nominate them. And I was inundated by heartwarming nominations. And I spent the next four years Listening to people's stories and collecting their words of wisdom, and also collecting their stories. And what it has led me to is a completely new career. Um, One of the people in the film, Evie Justison, talks about being 48 and wanting to learn to speak French because that was her mother's native language. And she didn't have a lot of money or anything, but she decided to become a CSU student, a California State University student, so she could go and study in France and live with students and do that whole thing. And she said, I'd rather jump off the cliff than being a really boring, dull person in a rut. And that stuck with me. And I thought I could either be a really boring, dull person in a rut doing the same thing that I have done forever, or I could take this leap of faith and really just create something and put my passion in it and my full heart into it and make it happen. And it's been a 10-year process, but it's airing on PBS. So I guess it paid off in the end. And now I'm retiring at the end of fall quarter so that I can do filmmaking full time and and do a completely new profession. So it's, I didn't know what the heck I was doing when I started. I asked a lot of questions. And I think the most important thing is having a passion, not giving up, Take small baby steps at a time to get to that big goal and being resilient and and believing in yourself, you know, even when other people don't. I mean, I I was working on this film. People would ask me what I was doing and they'd say, who's going to be interested in a film like that? Well, obviously, there's a need and a lot of people were interested and I wasn't doing it. For anyone other than a passion for myself, and because I really wanted to tell those stories, so jumping off of a cliff is a good thing. <laughs> yeah.
3: Well, I we and I hear your story, and and we've talked before, but hearing it today, it's like the little aha moments are the same aha moments that I had of empowering other people, like reaching out. Same thing. I started the blog. I reached out to my friends. Tell me some people. I want to talk to. And oh, my God, the stories and the inspiration I got from these women, like, why aren't these women being featured? And why aren't these the women we're looking at to be inspiring to age? And I think your film does the same thing. Like, you look at these people, you look at your grandmother that's going to the gym, started at 80. I mean, how many people say, oh, I can't do that because I'm 80. And really, we start doing that in our 50s. Oh, I can't do that. I can't wear that. I can't say that. So this power that they their stories give to younger women to age differently, but also then the intergenerational, the power that we give back to them by valuing their story.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that, you know, I was at a, a session one time, a, a really lovely panel discussion with five of the people in the film and myself, and this is when the film was out in theaters. And I was saying to the to the audience and to the, the people who were in the film, how grateful I was to them, because without them, of course, there wouldn't be a film. And one of them got up and said, no, we are grateful to you for caring enough to collect our stories and to share our stories and to make us feel like we are relevant. And I think that sometimes that is often, unfortunately, what happens as we age, we start feeling less relevant and so how can we bring our stories to the forefront? How can we continue that? And I think one of the things that we've been doing with the film is doing intergenerational projects and showing the film to students and older adults and pairing them up and having them work together um, to find out about each other. And w- One of the things that I think is really difficult is where do you start that conversation? And so we have I have 20 questions that I ask everyone in the film that we give out and anyone can ask me for them. And it's a good starting point to, to have that conversation. To create those connections, I think back and forth. So that we start breaking down those stereotypes of aids. I think one story and one connection at a time.
3: Talk about your early days with doing the documentary. So and you didn't start out thinking you were doing a documentary. You thought you were just filming your grandmother. So (laughs) I I love that part of it because I think so many of us start out and we maybe have this idea, I'm going to do this, and it's really a hobby or it's just a passion and letting it kind of evolve into what it's going to be and not be so concerned about it's got to be this.
0: Yeah, I think that that's a really good point is that I started out out of a love of my grandmother. And then I started doing these interviews thinking, oh, this maybe this will be a web series. I'm not really sure what I just know I have to do this and I'm not really sure why Uh, But I just kind of followed that passion. And I think that's one of the wonderful things for me about being an artist is that my whole career, I've followed my passion and followed those ideas, some of which work and some of which don't. But I have allowed myself to follow some of those ideas and and just kind of go with it and see where it leads. And I was actually filming a woman, Marion Wolf, who was, she grew up in, in Berlin and then moved to Vienna, Austria before the war broke out. She was Jewish. And she was rescued on the first kinder transport out of Vienna, Austria. The Quakers in the United Kingdom were trying to rescue as many Jewish children as they could in Austria and Germany. And they rescued 10,000 children, which is amazing. And she was on the very first one. And I went to interview her. And, you know, I had this list of questions that I was asking. But she brought out this cardboard number that she had worn around her neck when she was eight years old because they, that's how they identified all yeah. the kids that they transported. And I still get chills when I think about it. And, and I just thought, wow, I, I thought this was gonna be, I was gonna collect the words of wisdom of all these people and I am, but it's also much more powerful I'm collecting the stories of these people that they will be lost otherwise. Yeah. And it was really a pivot moment at that moment that I really thought, this has to be a feature film and why I thought I could do a film having never done one, but I just knew, you know, I mean, it was like that that flash where I just thought this has to, this is something way bigger than what I thought it was. And I started looking at what are the stories that I have thus far? And I really wanted to make sure that I had a diverse group of stories. So for example, it was very important for me to include the story of Susie Edo Bauman, who was interned um, during World War II in our country, because she was of Japanese descent. She was born in this country, but her parents were born in Japan. And so she was interned during World War II because I think it's very easy to look at history and look at everything that happened elsewhere and forget to inward at our own history. And I think hopefully we can learn from our past so that we don't make the same mistakes in the future. And so that was, you know, I think that following that passion, allowing for that flexibility of things to change and um, for it to develop into a film. And I think it's much more powerful as a film than it ever would have been as a a web series, just because I think it's been seen by more people as a result. But let's talk about, you had that moment
3: of, this is a feature film, and most times we have these grand ideas, but we go, no way, I can't do that. Like, how how did you have the courage to push beyond the doubt in your own head?
0: Well, I think that my whole life, I've always lived thinking instead of saying why, say why not. And I think that with that attitude, it really has helped propel me through some crazy stuff that I would never have done otherwise. And, you know, I had nothing to lose by trying and everything to gain by trying. And it was a completely crazy idea. And I had to come up with money to to fund it because I had to buy historical rights and movie film rights and, and music rights. And I paid everyone that worked on the film with me. And so I would say, you know, think outside the box. I was lucky enough to be able to rent out rooms in my house through Airbnb to. Yeah, fund. I want to talk, talk about <laughs> yeah, that
3: because I think that's financially we get stuck. Oh, I can't do that. I can't afford to do it. And so. How did that idea even come about? And talk more about how you finance the film.
0: Yeah, well, I, I started out thinking, oh my God, I've got to write grants, right? I'm an academic. So the first thing we go to is to write grants. And what I found was I was spending more time writing the grants than actually working on the film and really not getting anywhere because I was a first time filmmaker and people were not, they weren't comprehending what I was trying to do. And I, I just, I, I've, at a certain point, I realized I'm putting way too much energy into this and not enough into what I'm passionate about. And so I kind of took a giant step back and looked at, well, where else could I find funding from? I have a, a big house. my I have two wonderful stepkids. they were grown and out of the house. I could rent out rooms in my house and make a lot more money. And also, you know, everyone that would stay at my house, I'd tell them about the film. They became supporters of the film. So I think just... I think kind that's of- how I found out about the film. Yeah. You know, just stop you for a minute. You had an Airbnb
3: guest that's a friend of mine and he told me about it. So, you know, you never know where that connection can lead down the road.
0: Absolutely. And I think that that's one of the things is that um, I am not afraid to tell people about what I'm working on. And if they're interested, they are. And if not, not. But you never know when you start talking to somebody where that conversation may lead. And I think I also follow up on every lead that comes in and everyone that emails. Marion Wolf, who's in the film, once said to me, you have the ability to make everyone feel special in the way that you interact with them and respond with them and respond to them. And that stuck with me because I thought, well, if she feels that way, I really better make sure that I make that happen. (laughs) And so I think whether it's somebody staying at my Airbnb or somebody that reaches out to me and emails me because they've been touched by the film in some way, I try to respond to everyone and make that personal connection because you just never know where it's going to lead. And a project like this, has really been a a project that's a word of mouth film. That is how the momentum grew for it. I mean, we had a successful theatrical release, but that's because people were telling other people about it and said, oh, you've got to go see this film. And, you know, it really, it snowballed in that way and continues to even now. So I think that just in terms of financing, you know, think about the creative ways that you can make something happen. I have never let money be the obstacle that's kept me from, from doing things. And I have been very poor in my life and eaten a lot of Top Ramen, but I have never, you know, because it's really easy to look at that and go, oh yeah, well, you have a lot of money. That is right. so far from the truth. I put myself through college, I did a lot on my own, I au for a family so I could afford to live and eat while I was trying to develop my craft of, of photography. There are creative ways to every solution. And I have, like I said, never let money be the obstacle and just try to think about other alternatives to make things happen.
3: Yeah. And I think you can hear it in your voice and I think you can hear it in anyone's voice when they're really coming from the heart and it's a passion project and it's a different type of driving to get the project done or to get the work done. I say to people, I'm excited every day to get up to see who's reached out to me and the the connections and the collaborations and the opportunities are beyond what I ever imagined would happen. And I think it comes from the purity of the project. And I, I see that in your work.
0: Oh, thank you. And I think, you know, there's a, a word that people are using a lot lately, which is uh, the authenticity and all yeah. that op- authentic feel. And I think that for me, it wasn't just now after the film is done, but while I was doing the filming, the people that I was interviewing, we had a really strong connection. And that was because they knew that the film was coming out of a place of love of my grandmother and that I would be as you know, careful with their sharing their story as I was with my own grandmother. And so there was no ulterior motive. It really was, about trying to share the wisdom and these stories. And I think that's why when you see the film, it's like you're having a conversation with them. And and I will also say that it was very important to me when I created the film, that I was only in the film where I was interacting with my grandmother, that I did Mm -hmm. not want to be in the film anywhere else, because it really is about the other people those people's stories and it should be coming from them and so um i i had to you know really make that happen to make sure that i was not in the film in any way and it was really about the people in the film
3: so what did you learn what's one of the lessons you learned along the way with making it
0: well i think that one of the best lessons that i learned from me for me not necessarily about making the film, but about life in general and about moving forward as I'm aging is that one of the common themes that all the people had that were in my film was that they all had a sense of purpose. And I think as we Mm. age, we need to make sure that we continue to keep a sense of purpose. I think there is this idea about the in quotes golden years, you know, when you retire from your job that you've done for so long and then, but then what do you do? And I think that um, that if, that can be a difficult transition if you don't have that sense of purpose. So I feel like as an artist, I will always have a sense of purpose because there's always the next idea and the next project. But I would say for everyone as you're moving through life, figuring out what is your sense of purpose, and that can change. It certainly has changed for me many times over. So allowing for the flexibility for it to change, but also knowing that that's really an important aspect. And that certainly came through in the film and has been something that has transcended to my own personal life.
3: Yeah. One of my favorite stories in the film is the mozzarella man. <laughs> and yeah. Can you tell the audience a little bit more
0: about him? Oh, Lucky Louie. So he—he he is a very good friend of mine, and I know you're not supposed to have favorites, but he does. <laughs> Besides my grandma, and probably because he's Italian, he—we had a connection, and um, he, you know, he's so funny because he was a pediatrician and very loved in this town. He was only one of two pediatricians, so everybody in town knows him, and for good reason because he just—he was such a wonderful, wonderful, loving man. And but I would kid around with him. He made mozzarellas for his daughter's deli for over 25 years, and I'd say to him, I think you've been making mozzarella longer than you were a pediatrician now at this point. And you know, he had a number of really great sayings, one of which was, the harder I work, the luckier I get. Oh. And I think that so often when I think about working on this film and people say, oh, you're so lucky you're on PBS. It's like, yeah, okay, well, that's after 10 years of working <laughs> on it, but you know, I think about him and, and he always felt like he was lucky. I mean, no matter what happened in his life, he would find a way to twist it around to make it so that he was lucky in, in that circumstance. And I think what that taught me was it's really about your attitude. And Evie Justison mentions this as well in the film that Um, Viktor Frankl's book, Man's Search for Meaning, was very important to her, and what she got out of it was that there's so many times in your life when you can't control the things that are happening around you, but what you can control is your attitude about it, and and certainly this pandemic has, has rocked everyone across the globe, and there's nothing that we can do about that, but what we can do is what our attitude is about what's happening on a day-to-day basis. And I think, you know, I feel so lucky because I feel like I have 40 new grandparents as a result of working on the film and all of their words of wisdom really come back and are a part of me and a part of my life as I move forward. But lucky Louie holds a, a special place in my heart. <laughs> yeah. He was really inspiring. And I, you
3: know, that my had a grandfather and grandmother who lived to 96 and 94, I think. And we did record my grandfather his oral history. And because his storytelling was so powerful, I think we've lost the art of storytelling and the art of listening. Mm-hmm. And I think the power you, by listening to our, our elders and hearing their stories and giving that value is so powerful. So yeah. I love love that. Um,
0: Well, I can tell you one other quick anecdote about Lucky Louie, which I think is really funny. When I went to interview him, and I did have a student with me at that time whose name was James. And after we finished the interview, James and I went out to lunch, and he said to me, in all seriousness, wow, I didn't know older people could talk so much. And I mean, I just, I said to him, well, don't you have an older person in your life? And he said, yeah, I have a grandfather, but we really don't talk Mm -hmm. very much. And it was right around Thanksgiving, and I said to him, I'm your teacher. I'm going to give you this assignment. You're going to take these questions that we just asked Lucky Louie, and I want you to ask them of your grandfather. And he came back from that weekend beaming from ear to ear because he and his grandfather didn't know where to start the conversation. And his grandfather was so excited that he cared enough to want to ask those questions. And it wasn't that he didn't want to. He just didn't know where to start. And so I think that that's, you know, one of the biggest regrets that people had when I asked them this in the, in the film was that they didn't ask somebody questions who had passed away. And so, you know, don't let that time go by. You think they're going to live forever and they're not. And it's so important. And like I said, the questions that I asked are on my website. You can use them, use your own, but it's just nice to have that, yeah. that starting point. And it opens up a dialogue that is just beautiful sometimes that you would have missed out on otherwise.
3: Well, we'll for sure put those in the show notes so people can access them. And I know I we talked about your first recording and the cameras and the lights and doing it all yourself. And
0: <laughs>
3: yeah, I, I love that story because we get so caught up and I can't do that. I don't know how to do that. So how did you figure it all out? Um,
0: so I had a, a really good friend of mine, Jesse Alexander, who I worked for when I, I was right after grad school. He's a photographer and I Called him up when I knew I wanted to do work on this project and I said to him, Jesse, can I interview you first because I know if I really screw it up, you'll let me come back and do it however many times I need to. And I really just did a trial by fire. I mean, I, you, know, I, you don't need a lot of expensive gear. What you need is good sound recording because people will forgive bad image quality, but they won't forgive bad sound. And I mean, you could use your iPhone, but I I would have two digital cameras set up and the mics, and I would be doing the questions, hitting the record button, setting up, the, making sure the light was good. But really, I didn't want to have a big crew. I mean, every once in a while, I'd take a student with me because it was a good learning experience Mm -hmm. for them. But I really felt like it was much more... If it was just me and that person that I was interviewing, it's much more of a conversation. And that's really what I wanted. I didn't want it to be about a lot of gear. It's not about the gear. It's about the idea. And I think when you can let go of a lot of people get caught up in, oh, I need to have the latest gadget in order to make this happen. Forget about that. Just make it happen. And I had the worst cameras you could imagine. And I got better as I kept doing it. But there's still some footage that I cringe at when I see it. I'm like, oh god! But. But no one else but me notices that because right. they're so involved in the story and they're so involved in, in what people are saying that it, it, you know, don't get caught up in those small details. When you, if you do, you'll never get anything out. Sometimes you just have to put it out there and plunge forward like a bull in a china shop and something will work. <laughs> right. Well, I think too, what you, you talk about these small steps and I, you
3: know, so many times we hear somebody or we see somebody's success and they don't hear the, the journey to get there. And that's the power of the storytelling that I like to do for the podcast is really hearing how you achieved it and the small steps. Were there times along the way that you said, okay, this isn't going to work? Or was it each time kind of built upon
0: Well, I I think that each time kind of built upon, you know, I like I said, I didn't I thankfully I didn't start off thinking I was doing a film, so I didn't have a number of I was going to interview a certain number of people. I just started interviewing people and just kind of saw where it went and gave myself permission to learn along the way. I also didn't give myself specific deadlines, which I think helped because Mm -hmm. I gave myself the freedom to take four years to interview everyone that I interviewed. So I wasn't trying to get it done in a year. I wasn't saying, oh, I want to get into Sundance and I have this deadline. Right. I didn't do any of that. I just said, I'm just going to allow it to unfold the way it unfolds. And, you know, I was talking to my mom the other day and and I said, wow, I can't believe it's on PBS. I said, but, you know, this whole process, I mean, I remember getting into my first film festival and thinking, wow, I can't believe I'm the right film festival. And, you know, it's those incremental steps. I think that really helped. And then, I would also say that once you get into a project like this, if you can find other people that are passionate about what you're doing and help you along the way in whatever ways, like getting the word out, or I had somebody that helped me because he had a big sound room, his company had a big sound room and and screening room, and he let me hook up my laptop so I could see what the film looked like on a big screen and little things like that, that really helped out along the way be grateful to those people that help you because they'll want to help you some more. And yeah. don't be afraid to ask for the help. I I called on a ton of filmmakers who I didn't know from Adam. I just looked up stuff on the web and found films that looked like mine and said, wow, how did you do that? And and you know most people are really willing to help. They're excited that somebody's reached out to them and they're willing to help. I know I am when somebody reaches out to me. So if I didn't know about something, I would just ask. But again, I think if I had thought I'm going to make a film that's going to be on PBS, I would have it, it would have stopped me in my tracks. I don't think I could have done it. I think these baby steps along the way to build up to the, the bigger picture is is certainly what's what's made it doable and possible. And I'm getting ready to start my next film. And, you know, I'm, I'm doing the same thing with my next film, which is starting out with a short film and then kind of building on that idea and trying to build core people around that can help me and do some research on it. And I'm allowing myself a lot of time to to make it. So I think that that's, you know, another gift that you can give yourself.
3: And I think you give yourself the gift of possibility that you didn't even imagine. And, you know, I think when women are starting, and I, I focus on women starting businesses, we get asked, well, how are you going to monetize it? And what's your business plan? And, and it's like, how do I know what those things are? I don't know, but I know I'm super passionate about the work I'm doing. So that there's so much power in that and believing in that, small steps really add up those little things. So I love to hear that that's kind of how you built your built the film and, and had your journey, but you were still teaching at the same time. So you have a full-time job and you're doing this also. Yes. I would
0: wake up usually at four in the morning to start editing and do that before I would go in to teach and thankfully, I don't need a lot of sleep. I think I also get that from my <laughs> grandmother. And But, you know, my grandmother was a, a great role model in so many ways because in her 40s, she went back to school to become a pattern maker. You know, and that was, you have to think about how many years ago that was. And that was not the norm for, for somebody in her age at that time to go back to school and be right. the primary breadwinner. And so I had that as a, okay, well, she could reinvent herself in her forties. I certainly can too. You know, I just, I think that it it allowed me to envision some of those possibilities because I had that kind of a role model. And my mom has had a multitude of different careers. And I think that that, you know, I did have a heads up or a leg up, I guess, on that because I had those positive female role models in my life. And many people don't have that. So I would say to those people, you can be the role model for your kids or the people that are around you by forging ahead and and becoming that role model. So if that's
3: great advice for those women that are listening and other advice that you're in midlife, a lot of people, women in midlife, I know I was kind of there, don't even know what they're passionate about or what they, their purpose or what, what's the next thing, any advice you could give to women to kind of start that journey?
0: Well, I think I I was facing that as I was doing this film, and um, I I will tell you, and I don't think we talked about this, but I was department chair uh, at the time, and I was also very interested in yoga. That's why Emmy Cleves, who's in the um, film, she does the yoga that I was doing, and I thought, well, maybe I'll just become a yoga teacher, and I went through yoga teacher training, and I think just for me, it was like exploring all -hmm. these different things until I found out what I... Wanted to do. And what I realized is, no, I don't want to be a yoga teacher. I love doing the yoga, but I don't want to teach it. And, but I really, God, this filmmaking thing, this just keeps coming back. And so I think that, you know, exploring a lot, I think is a really good way to approach it until you find something you'll know. It's almost like you feel it in your body. It feels like the right thing. You'll know what that is. And it is. In some ways, a little more difficult during the pandemic and on the flip side, maybe easier because the world has become very flat and you can participate in so many other things and maybe be involved in so many other things than you were so that you can figure out very quickly if something is resonating with you or not. And um, I would say just be open to really different ideas than you would think possible. I mean, I think leaving yourself open is the most critical thing. A lot of people tend to shut down and think, I can't do this. I can't do that. Well, if you say that to yourself, you won't be able to do those things. Yeah. It's a
3: self-fulfilling prophecy.
0: Exactly. And I think if you open yourself up to the possibilities, then it's surprising how many doors all of a sudden open.
3: Yeah. I love the idea of trying lots of different things and doing things that are interesting to you and then you rule it out. Um, But yeah, taking back the power of your possibility and not buying into the limitations that were served. So what's the next film? You say you're working on the next film. Tell us a little bit about that.
0: Sure. Well, you know, everything that I do from here on out, I think will have an intergenerational twist to it. I mean, even this film did because it was me interacting with my my grandmother, and that was the reason that it happened. But the next feature film that I'm working on is going to be based around food and tradition. And it stems from a short film that I did called Mochisuki, which is the Japanese tradition of making mochi the week between Christmas and New Year's to bring in the new year. And that was um, Susie Edo Bauman from the Lives Will Live film. Her family gets together every year and people up and down the coast of Washington and California come and gather. There's about 150 people usually for this wonderful ceremony. But it's also about the bringing together of generations, the passing down of tradition through food. And so the idea of the new film will be about, you know, this idea of there's a lot of uh, immigrant populations that come to the United States. What are some of those traditions that remain through food that are passed down from one generation to the next? And what are the words of wisdom that are passed down as well? So I think that'll probably be the next feature film. And then another idea that I have been toying with is a film about love because one of the things that I really enjoyed in the Lives Will Live film was when people would talk about how they met and Mm. you could see the twinkle in their eye, whether it was uh, five years ago or 50 years ago when they talked about how they met and their words of wisdom around that. And I love Bob and Emmy Cleves when they talk about how they first met. Emmy says, and then I met my soulmate. And Bob says, yeah, there was this blonde babe across the room. And I just, you know, the, 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 it's such an interesting dialogue. But yet they've been married for over 50 years. And one of the things that Emmy talks about is because they celebrate their differences and then they, the things that bring them together. And so I love this idea of of that as a concept for a film. And, you know, CL Bergman's, who's not related to me, by the way, but her, her words of wisdom about a relationship is that you can't change another person, not one iota. And, uh, you know, we are each the imperfect beauty that we are. We should celebrate that. I mean, for me, that has been really instrumental in my relationship. So I think that that could be another feature film. But the first one will probably be, I like to work on a number of projects at the same time, but the yeah. food one is, is definitely on the horizon.
3: Well, I think that, you know, you you have joined Celebrate the Gray as one of the models. And so I think there's a opportunity for a film in there just about beauty, redefining beauty and what beauty is. And I mean, I think redefining love and what love looks like. There's a powerful campaign. I want to say it's out of Canada because Canada or Europe does such beautiful campaigns with aging, positive imagery. And it's all about love and even sex. And, you know, as we age, we get told as women, we can't be sexy. We've got to be modest. And these words that get thrown on us, mm-hmm. where if we can show visuals otherwise and narratives otherwise, how powerful that is. So I look forward to both of those films and maybe you and I can start chatting about a, a film. Just I love it. <laughs> showing what, you know, the power of aging when you take it back.
0: I love it. That's, that's a good, I think that's, that could be the next one. You never know. That could be the next you never know. <laughs> um,
3: well, it's been such a pleasure talking to you. You know, your story is so powerful just to grab onto the things that fill you up and figure out, you know, doing it little step-by-step step and not getting overwhelmed with what you, you know, we all like to dream big and we can, I have these big dreams, but those can overpower you and scare you to not even start. So by just starting, by being in the kitchen with your grandmother in those August days and setting up a camera that you don't never know where something's going to lead you.
0: Absolutely. Follow your passion, follow your bliss. you never know where you're going to end up.
3: Yeah. Well, I wish you all the best with uh, lives well lived and if you haven't seen the film, I strongly recommend it's on PBS now. It's where else can we find the film?
0: It's on um, PBS streaming for free through September 28th. And then it'll be on PBS Passport, which is for PBS members for the next three years. And it's also on iTunes and Amazon. So I'm super excited that it's on all those places now. <laughs> and if people want
3: to reach out to you, where do they find you? What's the best way to contact you? Yeah.
0: So the website for the film is lives-well-live.com and my email is just liveswelllived at gmail.com.
3: Perfect. Well, Skye, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today. And we look forward to all your films to come. And this, the power of storytelling and the power of inclusion and intergenerational learning is giving everybody good examples of how to live their lives well. So thank you and have a great day and thank look you. forward to connecting.
1: We hope you enjoyed this podcast. For more information on all of our guests, go to brand50.com where you'll find show notes and other resources to help guide you through the next exciting phase of your life. Please consider subscribing to our podcast on iTunes along with other platforms and write us a review while you're there. You can also sign up for our email list on our site, To get the latest podcast updates, we promise you won't get a constant barrage of emails from us, and you can bet we'll protect your privacy as well. You can also follow us on social media accounts listed on our site. Thank you for listening.